We're going to continue our series called Greater. Say greater. greater. Yeah, no matter what our problem is, no matter how severe our situation is, Jesus is greater. If you guys want to start my timer back there, that will help me tremendously. Well, last week we talked about the fact that, that Jesus is greater than our storms. How many believe that this morning? Jesus is greater than our storms. Today I want to focus on the fact that, that he is greater than our shame. Jesus is greater than our Shame. I want us to read some scripture to get us started this morning. And the scripture we're reading is found in the book of John, chapter number 8. John, chapter number 8. We're going to read verses 2 through 11. The Bible says, now early in the morning, he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something to, of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, in this setting, we find Jesus in the temple teaching. There's a crowd there that day because everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd that followed him. The people absolutely loved his teaching. And as Jesus is teaching, he is interrupted by some religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees. And they have with them a woman that has been caught in the very act of adultery. And they bring her to Jesus and they expose her sin to Jesus and and to everyone in the crowd that day. They literally shame her. Can you even imagine the humiliation that this woman must have felt? And these religious leaders say to Jesus, they say the law says that she is to be stoned for her sin. but, But what do you say? Well, first of all, this is a partial truth. See, see, there were specific guidelines in the law concerning the sin, this, concerning this particular sin and its punishment. It wasn't one size fits all. There were variations and special circumstances attached to this transgression and to the punishment. 
These religious leaders presented this situation as a cut and dry, no margin for error offense, even though that might or that might not have been the case. These scribes and Pharisees were acting as if they were as if they were the judge, jury, and executioners. I've known some church members like that. And they say to Jesus, she's guilty. She's guilty. She's been caught in the very act. She deserves to be stoned. But what do you say about it? There's three questions that I want to ask and endeavor to answer today as they relate to this story. And the first question that I have to ask this morning is this, and that is where was her shame exposed? Where was her shame exposed? And the answer A place where she should have found help and not hurt. Her shame was exposed at a place where she should have found help and not hurt. Verse 2 says that she was brought to the temple. So her shame was exposed at the house of the Lord by leaders of the house. She was hurt at the very place where she should have found help. Can I tell you that this is not too uncommon? I can't tell you how much I wish I could refute this. But the truth of the matter is people are often hurt by those who should be helping them. At the place that should be the last place to hurt people. Our vision at the Grace Place is caring people, caring for people. Oh, oh, I wish, I wish that I, I wish I could say that we bat a thousand with this vision. But the truth is we fail sometimes. The truth is we sometimes hurt the very ones that we need to help. Now, let me clarify something. Not everyone who claims to have been hurt by us actually was. We're talking about where her shame was was exposed. Where was her shame exposed? It was exposed at a place where she should have found acceptance and not accusation. God's house should be a house of acceptance. We should throw our arms open wide to anyone and to everyone. That being said, I'm not talking about condoning sin. I'm talking about loving sinners. There's a big difference. I'm not talking about placing sinners in places of leadership. I'm talking about loving sinners into the kingdom. Yeah, I'm talking about loving sinners into the kingdom instead of shaming them to the point where they have and want nothing to do with the kingdom. See, see, the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I mean, no, that a hospital is a place for healing. <laughs> oh, oh, my desire is for the grace place to be a place of healing. We're wounded, hurt, disheartened. People come to get healed and come to be restored. 
I've actually seen this happen many, many, many times over and over and over. I've seen God do that in this house. God, let this house be a house of healing. Let me challenge you today. Let me challenge you to be a part of the process. Don't leave it up to the professional pastors. Become a healer of wounded spirits, a healer of broken hearts. Become become an encourager. Build people up. Don't tear people down. Oh, oh, seek out people who don't seem to be fitting in and make a place for them in your circle of friends. Speaking of circle of friends, let me stop for a moment and plug one of our ministries. Recently, Recently, we sent out a survey. We wanted to know what our people needed most during this pandemic. We didn't want to just, you know, think ourselves and talk among ourselves. We wanted to hear from the congregation. We wanted to hear from the people. We've never led through a pandemic before. We wanted to hear the voice of the people. So we sent out a survey to our people and asked our people, what do you need most during this pandemic? Do you need more services? Do you need more Bible studies? Do you need more worship? What is it that you need? What is it that you are needing most of out of everything else? What do you need during this time? And the overwhelming majority of people who took the survey responded with community. You know, with sheltering in place, everyone running around with a mask on. We need community more than anything else. They said, we need community. And so as a response to your request, say your request. So as a response to your request, we are relaunching our C group ministry. Both in person and online. Now, understand that our inline, or excuse me, our in-person groups will follow the same social distancing guidelines that we use on Sunday morning. We encourage you to reconnect with your C groups. If you're not in a C group, reach out to Pastor Landon. If you're not ready to meet in person yet, we have online C groups that you can connect with. And more information is going to be given at the close of the service. We need each other. We need community. We need the fellowship of the brethren. Well, let's become a part of the process of loving people, loving people into the kingdom. And loving people that are already in the kingdom. And let me remind you, this is the grace place, not the law place. All right, back to our three questions. The first was, where was her shame exposed? The second question that I want to ask today and endeavor to answer in light, of this, in light of this story. And the second question is this, who exposed her shame? And the answer is people who had sins of their own. Let's read verses 6 and 7. This they said, testing Jesus, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. You know, when it comes to seeing the sins of others, we seem to have 20-20 vision. 
I say when it comes to seek the sins and the faults and the failures and the flaws of others, we seem to have 20-20 vision, but we are totally blind when it comes to seeing our own. How often have you been sitting in church and the pastor began to preach on something and said, well, I sure wish so-and-so was here, man. So I hope so-and-so's listening. So-and-so sure needs to hear it. We're really good, aren't we, at taking a shovel to church and shoveling it back over our shoulder? Surely somebody back there needs it. Had a sweet little lady in my church in Oklahoma years ago. She said, I don't bring a shovel to church. She says, Pastor, I always bring a rake and I rake it in because I know I need it as much as anybody else needs it. Was this woman guilty? Absolutely, there were eyewitnesses. Was she the only guilty party in the crowd that day? Absolutely not. Romans 3 and 23 says that everyone sins. Who sins? Everyone sins and falls short of God's glorious standard. This woman might or might not have been the only one there guilty of this particular sin, but everyone there, including the leaders, including the scribes and the Pharisees who were accusing her and shaming her, were guilty of of sin. But you know what? So are we. Sin simply means... the definition of a sin is simply to miss the mark. How many of you miss the mark sometimes? We're all guilty. All have sinned, and we all miss the mark, and we all have faults. We all have failures. We all have flaws. So I ask you this morning, what right have we to accuse anyone or point an accusing finger at anyone or treat anyone in a condescending way? My daddy used to always say it like this. He said, he said if I point a, few, a finger at you, he said, I have three fingers pointing back at me. When the religious leaders asked Jesus what should be done with this adulteress, the Bible says Jesus knelt down and started writing in the dirt. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us what Jesus wrote in the dirt, so it is total speculation to even talk about it yet, and yet many scholars have speculated. Some scholars speculate that Jesus wrote Scripture in the dirt, Scripture that revealed that it wasn't cut and dried, that it wasn't one size fits all, and that maybe this woman was not to receive the punishment that they are saying she should. Some scholars speculate that Jesus wrote some specific sins on the ground that these accusers were guilty of. I think that's just super cool. (laughs) Here they come dragging this woman in there, caught in the act of adultery, throw her at the feet of Jesus, and name her sin. Jesus kneels down. Some scholars speculate and began to write sins of the accusers. And I just kind of let my imagination run wild as I was building this message. I thought, yeah, I know, I know how people are. And you know, when Jesus writes this certain sin down, I could just see one of the scribes or Pharisees saying, I know who that is. <laughs> and Jesus writes another sin, and I could just see one of the scribes or Pharisees punching a buddy. <laughs> We both know who that is. Everybody knows who that is. And then Jesus writes their sin down. Oops. 
<laughs> Oops. Hey, I don't know that he did. I don't know that he didn't. Some say maybe he did. Makes sense to me. And then some speculate that Jesus just kind of doodled on the ground. It's what my wife does when she's on the phone. I don't have to ask her who she talked to. Don't have to ask her what they talked about. When she's done with a 30-minute conversation, instead of getting a 30-minute update from her, I just go over and see her scratch pad, and I know who it was, and I know what they talked about. And there's all kinds of little things. And some people think maybe, you know, Jesus just stooped down and just kind of, you know, wrote in the sand, doodled in the sand, whatever, you know. Just what he was doing, some scholars say they were just ignoring. Ignoring them. Whatever he wrote, it had its effect. We're talking about who exposed her shame. First of all, it was people who had sins of their own. But also it was people who had shame of their own. Let's read verse 8 and 9. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the least, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Whether Jesus wrote specific sins of the accusers in the dirt or not, somehow, somehow Jesus reminded these accusers that there were skeletons in their closet also. They had some shame of their own. And how would they like it if their shame was placed on open display? Oh, let me, let me remind us this morning of what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 12. Jesus said, Jesus said, whatever you want others to do to you, do also to them. I believe this would also mean what you don't want people to do to you. Don't do it to them. And don't forget about the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6 and 7 says, whatever a person sows, that he will also reap. And don't forget, not only do we reap what we sow, but we reap more than we sow. And don't forget what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 7. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they. Who's they? Blessed are the merciful for they, the merciful. Blessed are the merciful for the merciful shall receive mercy. I can't speak for you, but when you have a personality like mine, you need a lot of mercy. You need a lot of grace. No amens, please. So if I need a lot of mercy and I need a lot of grace, if I want a lot of mercy and I want a lot of grace, I better give a lot of mercy and I better be giving a lot of grace. I better not be a part of exposing the shame of others lest my shame be exposed. All right, we've talked about where her shame was exposed, who exposed her shame. Now let's look at my third and final question this morning for the message, and that is, the question is, what did Jesus do about it? What did Jesus do about it? Well, first of all, he exposed Not the sins of the adulteress, but he exposed the sins of the accusers. Whether Jesus actually wrote the sins of the accusers on the ground or not, somehow Jesus revealed the sins of these accusers to them. Say to them. 
Because verse number 9 says that her accusers were convicted by their own conscience. And when Jesus said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. One by one by one by one, they dropped their rocks and walked away. Wow. Wow. What did Jesus do? He First he exposed the sins of the accusers and then he, he expunged the sins of the adulteress. Let's read verse 10 and 11 again. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The only one in the crowd that had the right to condemn her for her sin didn't. Did you hear me? I said the only one that was sinless, the only one, oh, that had the right to condemn, the only one there that had the right to do it did not do it. He said, I don't condemn you either. He could have condemned her. He could have stoned her. He could have shamed her, but he didn't. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus said, but he didn't stop right there, but he said, go and sin no more. See, see, don't mix up the fact that just because Jesus didn't condemn the sinner, that doesn't mean that he condoned the sin. I don't condemn you, I forgive you, Jesus said, but go and sin no more. Perhaps my favorite story in the entirety of the Bible is the, pro- is the story of the prodigal son. I love that story of the father who represents God, who had two boys, a younger and an older. And the younger came to his father one day and said, hey, I'm tired of being told what to do. I'm tired of the alarm clock. I want my inheritance now. And I'm out of here. I'd have been the father. I'd said, you're out of here, but you're not getting your inheritance father gave him his inheritance you know the story he went and he lived it up man partied man i mean wine women and song party hardy the bible said a famine came in that land and his money was out he didn't have no more money and he ended up feeding the pigs he was a jew boy jews had nothing to do with pigs that's how low he got but one day as he's feeding the pigs And he's so hungry. The Bible said he was so hungry that he would eat with the pigs. He was so hungry. One day he remembered. He had a flashback of his father. He said, you know what? My father's servants at home have it better than I do. I'm going to get up out of here. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to repent. I'm going to tell my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against your side. I'm not worthy to be your son. I just want to be one of your servants. Please, can I come home? And he gets up out of there and he makes his way back home. The father, it grieved his heart when his son left. He loved his son, didn't want to see his son leave. Oh, he shed many tears over the loss of his son. I, I can see the father every morning before the son would come up. I could see the father. I could see him going out to the front of the, of the house and looking down the road, the same road that his son left. And I can see him every morning as the son comes up looking down that road, hoping this is going to be the day my son is going to come home. Praying every night and praying every day his son would come. 
And one day as the sun is coming up, oh, he looks far, far in the distance and he thinks, is this my son? Maybe that's my boy. Yeah, I think it kind of looks like him. But he hadn't been disappointed before and so he didn't take off running yet. Waited until his son got a little closer and a little closer and finally he could find, he could see that is his boy and the Bible says that he ran. He didn't wait for the boy to get to him. He ran to his son and he grabs his son and he puts his arms around him and he hugs him. And his son says to him, Dad, Dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your sight. I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm just here. I hope you'll let me be a servant. Can I just work for you, Dad? But the father said, you're not a servant. You're my son. And he looks to his servants and he says, bring the best robe in the house and put it on him and bring some shoes and put it on his feet and bring a ring and put it on his hand. My son was dead, but he's alive. He was lost, but he's found. Let's have a party. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have singing and dancing, my boy. Let's go home. I want you to notice what the father did for the boy. First of all, he said, bring the best robe in the house and put upon him. No doubt when that boy left home, he left his father, he left with the best and the finest threads there were that money could buy. But over time, oh, they'd become tattered and torn. And he had worked in the, with the swine and, and, and he was dirty and grungy and he stunk and he looked horrible. And he looked like he was, he, he looked like shame would look like. And the father said, said, bring the best robe in the house and put it around him. He didn't expose his shame. He covered up his shame. Bring a ring for his hand. The ring was kind of like a branding, like you brand cattle that says who the, who, who the cattle belong to. That ring was a family insignia ring with the family name or initial on it. And, it and, and, and so he wanted everybody to know, man, this isn't a servant. This is my boy. This is my son. Put this ring on his hand. So everybody, he don't look like my son, but he is. And bring shoes and put on his feet. Why shoes? Because the only one that went out without shoes in those days were servants, so they could not run away very far. Bring shoes. I don't want anybody to mistake him. He doesn't look like a son. He doesn't smell like a son. But he is my boy. Bring the ring. Bring the robe. Bring the, bring the shoes. The father covered the shame of his son. I want to tell you this morning, and somebody, you need to tune in right now. The blood of Jesus is the robe that covers our shame. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to everybody. No. To those who are in Christ Jesus. The takeaway from the message today is this. Jesus is greater than our shame. He actually took our shame upon himself on the cross and conquered it. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Man's sin and man's shame was placed upon Jesus, upon the cross. He bore our sin and he bore our shame. He conquered it. Jesus is greater.
than our shame. Lord, I thank you for your incredible word. Lord, not my sermon, but your, your true word that has come forth today. Oh, Lord, I pray you'll have your way in every heart and in every life and minister effective today through your spirit.